you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 896. Audible is our sponsor for this episode. Uh, Audible has the best audiobook performances, an unmatched selection, and the most exclusive content. For instance, let's say you want to get ready for the upcoming Ready Player One movie. And you go, hey, maybe I should listen to Ready Player One, written by Ernest Cline. Who narr- Do you know who reads that book? Who reads it? Will Wheaton. Oh, your friend? Yes. Oh, my God, that's exciting. Will Wheaton reads Ready Player One. He'd be good at that. He's ex- he's amazing at it. Will uh, Will actually does has done quite oh, a few audio Oh, does he? Oh, yeah, that's awesome. He's spectacular. Because it's nice to have someone read a book that can give a performance element yeah. to it. Yeah. It's much more engaging that way. Uh, and so listen to Ready Player One on Audible right now. Start a 30-day trial and your first audio book is free. Learn more at audible.com slash nerdist. That's audible.com slash nerdist. Uh, what do you got on the Nerdist Community Corkboard, Katie Levine? I got some some cool stuff on here. If we have any uh, listeners in Cleveland, the Accidental Comedy Fest is coming to your town soon. There's going to be shows happening every night, August 30th through September 3rd at Hilarities in downtown Cleveland. There's going to be some hilarious comedians there, uh, like Doug Benson, Ron Funches, Dave Hill, Dan Soder, Jack Knight, Megan Gailey, and a lot more. Passes and tickets are on sale now, so check it out at hilarities.com. And then I came across this on Instagram because uh, I follow the Marin Humane Society on there. They are doing the Bay Area Picnic, and it's a guinea pig <laughs> picnic. And I just love this so much. It's a fun-filled gathering for guinea pigs and their owners. So you can bring your guinea pig. They're also going to have adoptable guinea pigs there. They're going to have a costume contest, vegetable eating contest, raffle bake sales, not baking the guinea pigs, just other bake sales. Sure. Uh, the, they will help groom your guinea pig or do a health check. Uh, all the proceeds benefit the North Star Rescue Cavi House, KV House, and the Marin Humane Society. It's going to be in Novato, which is in the North Bay, uh, this Saturday, August 26th from 10, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And there's also going to be another one in Linda Vista Park in Cupertino, uh, Saturday, September 9th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And you can go to Marin Humane Society and try to find out more info on that. But that and sounds fun. Are they going to have guinea pig juggling? Probably not, right? Probably not. Okay, good. They're, they're, they're good, good. I just want to make sure they're not. <laughs> but you it. do get to see guinea pigs in adorable costumes. That That is... <laughs> Which I'm, I just love. I'm, I'm so emotionally much. torn about that. <laughs> no, I think it's adorable. It's like South Park, you know, with the pandemic. <laughs> okay, I just want to see board. it so bad. All right, I'm back I, on board. I wish I was up north. I would go to this in a heartbeat. I'm, I'm back yeah. on board. <laughs> but I just imagine that. So if you're an animal and your owners dress you up in clothes. You have no idea what the fuck is going on. Just all of a sudden, there's no. stuff on your body. No, no. Scout has a menorah hat, and she does like, what the fuck is this? Why is this on me? <laughs> <laughs> 
She's not into it. Well, so imagine an alien species came came down, yeah. right, and essentially enslaved the whole human race, and they. Uh, shot something onto your body that you could feel was there, but you couldn't really see or yeah, understand it. it and every time you were around, they were like, meh. <laughs> like, wouldn't you feel a little slightly disrespected if you, because you're not, because the thing about animals being in clothes is they're fucking not in on the joke. But they look adorable. <laughs> It looks so adorable. Okay, you're right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I had a dachshund that loved wearing her her little jacket. She had a jacket. She loved it. (laughs) Did the jacket look like a hot dog bun? Because that's the only thing. No, it was just like a sweater. But she got cold. Yeah. All right. Help them out. But I do understand what you mean. You can't get it off, and they're just like hitting it with their paws. Yeah. No opposable. My 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 old dog Scott. Like we put these uh christmas one year we put this like antler yeah, thing yeah. on the, like the little head pete mm-hmm. and the little antlers he just as soon as i got it on he looked so fucking bummed Aww. he was just not so we took it off i mean we took yeah. one picture but then we took it off but it was just immediately like he didn't know what was going on didn't understand why we were laughing <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i know anyway sure fuck it dress up your I guinea pig i think guinea pigs like it so go to the gi- <laughs> Guinea pigs. Based on your scientific research. Pignic. (laughs) This episode is uh, Michael Cudlitz, who I fucking adore. Cudlitz is great. I remember when Cudlitz came on, like when he first got added to the cast of Walking Dead, and the first time he came on Talking Dead, uh, a mutual friend of ours texted me and said, Cudlitz is fucking great. You're going to love that guy. And I do. And he is. Uh, And this is a fantastic episode with him. Uh, and one of the very rare occasions, this is being posted the day that we recorded it. Does not happen very often just because of scheduling and when things need to go up. But uh, yeah, Cudlitz was just in my house. He just left. I'm recording this intro now uh, just to, just for a little peek behind the curtain that uh, you so desperately require as an audience member of the Nerdist Podcast. But uh, just as a reminder, The Walking Dead complete seventh season is available now on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital HD. Um, so, uh, so watch that. There's a commentary, Ooh, uh, extra scenes, probably, probably. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so watch that. Uh, if you're a walking dead fan getting ready, you know, it's August, almost September, which means it's almost October and then walking dead's right around the corner. Yes. Uh, you so get ready. you gotta, gotta get ready. Gotta, re- gotta relive, uh, gotta relive the story so you can land back into it uh, when season eight starts. Eight seasons. God, that Oy. blows me away. Uh, this episode uh, also. Oh, can I promote some something? Yeah. Oh, it's funny. I'm asking you. Hey, Katie, can I, I so. promote something? Okay, thank uh. you. You're the best mom ever. Um, yeah, I'm doing a, doing a bunch of stand up dates on the road. Uh, it's easier if I just tell you the clubs and and then you, if you're that interested, if you're interested enough that you would come see me, you can do a little bit of legwork, which is um, I will be at uh, Acme Comedy uh, Club in Minneapolis. I'm going to be at the Tacoma Comedy Club. I'm going to be at the American Comedy Club in San Diego. Um, I'm going to be performing at Levity Live in Oxnard. I'm doing I'm doing a, a club tour so I can – I like doing a, you know, like a yeah. bunch of dates at once. So, uh, yeah, so I'm doing that. That'll be fun. Yeah, and then I'll be announcing more dates and then I will, I will post them somewhere. So uh, those are all coming up soon. This episode also brought to you by Stamps.com. 
Uh, going to the post office blows. It does, especially in L.A. Oh, it's hard. I mean, things blow more in L.A., but particularly the post office. And a lot of the problem is fucking parking. Yeah, parking, traffic, standing online. No one wants to do that. And not to complain too much about uh, local L.A. problems, but most of our streets are torn up at the moment. <laughs> and on top of that, they're also building a subway. Uh, so the, it's, you know, yeah. don't... There, Even if you live in a small town... You know, here's the only reason you need to go to the post office. If you live in a town of 100 people and your significant other works at the post office <laughs> and you want to go see them at work and pretend that you're mailing a letter because you know there's not going to be a lot of other people there that day, fine, go to the post office. But if you're really serious about not dealing with a bunch of crap and mailing the things that you need to mail with the exact amount of postage that you need, stamps.com can print any letter, postage package, any class of mail. Uh, click print mail. You're done. 24-7, even get discounts you can't get at the post office. So you too can enjoy Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Nerdist. That is Stamps.com, enter the promo code Nerdist. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Here's Nerdist Podcast number 896. Hey, Katie. Yeah? Would you... um just hit uh, play right over there. Just that button right there. Done. Now entering Nerdist.com. Smushed, yeah, like in my pockets. What are you doing? <laughs> like, well, I'm just doing my glasses, whatever. Like, stop, leave me alone. Yeah, my optometrist said, uh, yeah, you know, when you hit 40, uh, your eyes are the probably going to start. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I'm fine. I've made it this long. Yeah. I don't need. What could happen? Yeah, and then every year, I'm like, wait, what is this? What could happen? I'm over here. Oh, I can't. <laughs> your, your arms are right here. Like, you just I can't see that. Where is it? Who is that? Oh. Who's talking? Who said that? What are you? Stop it. Yeah, I know. I don't like any of you. I, only, I can't see you, but I don't like you. I only just figured out how to put in contacts, and it took me like three years to, to put them in. It took me three years to figure out how to put contacts in. And the way that I learned was that Lydia and I were on vacation, and she had sunscreen. This, this was very much a, a marriage trust thing. Oh, my god! So Lydia had sunscreen all over her hands, and she was like... I need to borrow your, your she goes, I need to borrow your finger. And I'm like, well, this party's picking up. <laughs> absolutely. And then she said, uh, uh, I need to use your finger to put my contact in. And I said, absolutely not. Yeah. And she goes, just do it. And I go, okay. So I, I just kind of held my hand with my finger out. And I just, and she took my finger and smushed it into her eyeball. And uh, my finger basically touched my wife's eyeball. And it immediately put the contact in, and it weirdly taught me... She's like, oh, that's what you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It taught me a much better way to put a contact in, and now I haven't had, a tr- I haven't had trouble putting contacts in. Uh, I have video of it, and I thought about posting it, but I, felt, I feel like some people would be just too grossed out to watch someone touch another person's eyeball. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> my, dad, my, dad, my dad used to have uh, glass... Uh, contacts. Oh, oh. And he would put, you know, and then everyone, it would be that, oh, wait, 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 wait. Drop the contact. Don't step anywhere. You know, it's shag carpeting, you know. Uh, oh, no. And it was like the search for the, I got it. 
Okay. You put that back in? Oh, yeah, you put the thing and you put the back in. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, like a binky for a baby. You gotta <laughs> rinse it off or lick it or whatever. And I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I got, I got to make the, uh, the really uh, vile joke like, uh, uh, of like putting the contact in. I go, yeah, but you know, but with the contact on my finger, it's like I can't really feel the eyeball. And she was like, all right. She's like, go to your room. Yeah, go to your room. Okay, I'll go. To my, I'll go clean up my room now. All right, I'm sorry. I'm still 15. I'm always 15. 15. That's why I, I'm. My wife is the same thing. It's just like she's. I'm 15. I'm 15. She would be happy if I was 15. I'm more like 11. Right. You know, she's praying for 15. <laughs> Could you just get to... Like, yeah, exactly. Just get to I mean, just every day I look at her and I just go, wow, did I kick way beyond my cover. How did, How long have you guys been together? 31 years. Damn! Yeah. Damn! What's yeah. the uh, What's the secret? What's the know. secret? And the minute I think somebody tries to say that or they have the answer to something, then you're then you're screwed. Then you don't, yeah. Because it's like you know, it's just uh, you know, it, it is. We do a lot of that old, you know, don't go to bed angry. Yes, you know, hash it out and like laying next to each other and just kind of, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my advice though is always like, uh, don't try to fix everything. Sometimes, a lot of times, our partners just want to talk, and just. You need to listen. Mm-hmm. Stare at the ceiling and go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the morning they go. Oh, thank you so much for talking about that last night. Don't don't fix it. Don't <laughs> fix it. Um, apologize. Cop to your own bull. You know. The, the say. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't know what I was thinking. You were right. Those are good ones. Yep, that's very good ones. <laughs> I heard. Uh, you know, someone someone told me that um, the couples that stay together the longest, there is an element of uh, kindness. In their relationship, which I, which surprised me because I, I guess I sort of have this idea of you know the, the stereotypical like old people in the grocery store like where well, you don't know where the but produce I, is. Uh, Shut yeah, up. That's what I think. Some of it is too. Stuff doesn't build up and then explode. You're always releasing it. You know, it's it, it's literally like, hey, why would you stop doing that? You're bugging me. Stop. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. As opposed to not saying it for forty years and right. then like waking up with an axe in your head. Right. Like, I told you to stop doing you it. Didn't know where the produce was. You never told me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> or it's the, you know, we watch a lot of the investigation discovery shows, the true crime shows, and we watch a lot of, like, you know, wives that just yeah, decided exactly. to stop taking shit via murder. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, he, he just changed the TV channel one too many, one times. Too many times. And that was it. And uh, it, it's remarkable to me because they sort of skim over, you know, you're watching, you're basically watching a, you know, for lack of a better term, like a greatest hits of that, whatever that couple's exactly. you know, reenactment of their relationship. Yeah. Or what, what their friends knew. Exactly. That's all, exactly. You, all you know is what was talked about. You don't, really you don't know, know the reason on. she killed them because right. obviously they didn't talk about it. I mean, it. you probably deserved it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, uh, but, the, uh, but the idea being that you, you realize that a lot of these people are together for years mm-hmm. where it just, where there's no murder. Kink. Yeah, and then just something, you know. So for you, you can get very comfortable over a period of several years. Makes it easy for you to get <laughs> snuck up on. <laughs> well, I think it's very, the guard was dropped. I think it's. I think it's very important to remember that uh, your partner is not should not be the receptacle for all of your your partner's role in your life is not to. Just be the person that you dump on when you come home. Yeah. No. Hope, hopefully, we we enhance each other's experience. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's the goal, I would think. How often are you away? Um, when I when before Walking Dead, um, probably two three times a year, I would go away for a couple weeks at a time. Um, we we when we got married, uh, or when we had kids, I should say, we started going to regular school. But by the time we were in the kids were going to second grade, we homeschooled. So the the family traveled with me. Oh wow! You know, went went for we going somewhere cool. If we we're going somewhere you know not so cool, it was like you know right stay home. Um, but we ha- always had like a three week rule: th- three weeks canceled by four. Okay. So if you were gonna if I was gonna be on location shooting something for three weeks, that was you know and it was gonna be longer than that, then she would come out or I would come home. Okay. In that three weeks, unless it was four weeks, and then we would discuss it and make financial sense to come out and visit each other, whatever. Because four weeks was like the month was like. That was the, the longest it would be apart. And then when we started homeschooling, it was sort of like, well, we can go whenever because the kids can learn cool stuff wherever we go. So right. we traveled all over the world. You know, it was oh, kind of wow. awesome. And, yeah. and so did the – your kids are in college now? They're in college, yeah, third, starting their third year. And did you homeschool all the way up until college? No. They always had the choice to go back into uh, you know, traditional schooling every year. We gave it, it was their choice. Yeah. Um, but they loved, you know, when they were really, really young, they loved going to Disneyland, you know, four <laughs> times a month and whatever. So we had, you know, had, uh, season passes and in the, the wintertime they loved going up and snowboarding whenever they could, you know, felt like it. So yeah. they were giving up quite a bit schedule wise to choose to go back to school, but they decided in high school that they wanted to. So. They did. Well, that's good because at least because yeah. my, my question would have been like, how do they socialize? Like, how do kids who are home who are homeschooled their whole lives then all of a sudden socialize you with get, other kids? You get you get socialized pretty good, you know. And I have this discussion with people. I'm sure I'm gonna I'm gonna get uh, blasted by some and supported by others, but I don't really care because it's my life. So <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's like you don't. I mean, that's pretty much. No, it is. That's the beginning of every. Well, I'm sure I'm going to get blasted by someone supported by this person in my life, so fuck off. Like, yeah. Your bio. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much is. But, um, but no, it's like everybody's going to take offense or have an opinion, and that's great, you know, but, but like, just if you're going to discuss it with anyone at any point, their, their life choices, discuss it. Don't, don't pontificate. Don't sure. for to sort of like say you have the, the answer. But, you know, the, the, there's not a tremendous amount of things like like if i told you um what are the what are the cool three coolest things that you ever learned in the schoolyard right uh or if i said what are the shittiest things that ever happened to you in the schoolyard i guarantee you there's one of those lists that would fill up much quicker than the other right and it's not the what are the coolest things right. that happened right so there's not there's not like you know lord of the flies man it's like there's not a lot of really useful stuff that's necessarily learned in that hive mentality other than to operate in that hive mentality right. to shut up to get in line to do all the things that make you a kind of a crappy adult right <laughs> you know what i mean it's like, it's like don't question authority shut up get in line right oh hmm and when you get older be your own person Stand up for what you believe in. Well, I wasn't well, taught I was, any of those things. <laughs> the last 12 years, you told me exactly the opposite. Wait a minute. So, <laughs> Shut up. Get yeah. in line. <laughs> I, so I, I, I strongly believe if you're raising, like if your kids are really hard, you know, at home and they question a lot of stuff, 
that's kind of good. You're, you're, it's not even kind of good. It's great. You're, you're raising good adults. And that's what we're trying to do is raise adults. Not, you're not trying to raise children who just conform and fall in line and do everything. You know, people are going to question things and follow their own dreams and be themselves and, and give something to society, not just sort of help, you know, stand in line. Ah, that's an interesting, that's an interesting idea. I mean, it's, it's funny how you can sort of look at a, you know, you can essentially say about the same thing, but the nuance of saying ra- raising good adults as opposed to raising good children is mm-hmm. a—it's it, a significant shift yeah. in the way that you think about. Because I, you know, I think there are so many things that we are, especially you know, with the education system in this country, are not equipped to do when we are mm-hmm. older, like. No one ever taught, you know, no school ever teaches you unless you go to, you know, specifically some type of a, a specialty college to understand it or major in it, how to deal with money, mm-hmm. how to deal with property, mm-hmm. how to deal with debt, how to deal with, resp- you know, these types of responsibilities. And, uh, you know, I know that there are lessons to be learned from, you know, taking classes for things that may or may not interest you, but understanding that sometimes you have to sit through shit. You have to understand how to absorb information, regurgitate that information, Absolutely. work well within a social structure, give, take, share. But at the same time, most of the practical things you need to know as an adult are not taught no. when you're young by no. anyone. So no. if a parent doesn't do it, yeah. that kid just doesn't really learn. Exactly. No, exactly. And, and, I, and I get it. I mean, to all the teachers listening out there, I get it. I mean, everything is – there's a structure in place that – that's the only way to handle that many, you know, kittens in your basket. Yeah. You know, it's just like there needs to be order and structure to it or, or literally people will will die. Yeah. You know, it's like it's, it's insane. But it's, you know, there there there's better ways out there and there's other ways. Um, and, um, you know, I think people need to be open to, you know, sometimes if their their kid isn't, um, you know, if school's not a good fit for them. You know, traditional school. There are other, there are other options. Sometimes, you know, not everyone, not everyone has those options available to them. But um, there are other options and, and different ways to learn, and 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 different kids learn in different ways, and and that shouldn't be like a bad thing. That's just that that should be an awesome thing, right? You know, right. So yeah, I mean, listen, I I honestly, I teacher, I have so much respect for teachers, just because oh, I yeah. think when you're young. And your teacher's a little harsh sometimes. You go, man, if I were a teacher, I'd be a cool teacher. Mm-hmm. And I'd do this and I'd do that. And then you get older and you realize, like, no, you can't oh, yeah. do that because the kids would fucking destroy you. Yeah. yeah, but there were those cool teachers. There were cool teachers. You know, everyone has, like, that one or those two that they remember. And it's like you sort of go, what? Like, what is that? You know? It's like the kryptonite. Well, I think it's, you know, the those teachers are also good performers. Probably. You know what I mean? It's like they yeah. are – they know they, – they, and I think it's it's a little bit too of – I don't know. Maybe it was just like right time, right class, Probably. right, right yeah. everything. You know, there were a lot of things that were involved. But, you know, the teachers that I – that really stuck out to me the most, you uh, were not they, – they could handle the overwhelming amount of stress and pressure from mm-hmm. maintaining a classroom. And I think it was just a personality type. They could just take it in stride. They didn't take shit, but not in a really harsh way. Yeah, they they, spun, they, they flipped it. They flipped it. You know? Yeah, they flipped it. Or they, you know, like my favorite teachers were always really funny. Yeah. That's what I responded to. Yeah, me too. But I also <laughs> understand that, you know, if you have, if you're teaching several classes and you have a bunch of, especially now where kids are on their fucking phones or they're, yeah. you know, whatever, not paying attention, 
I mean, I, I honestly, I think I, I think I would last maybe a half a week as a teacher before I'd be like, "Fuck all of you!" Exactly. You know, like, Fine, don't learn. I don't give a shit. You know, like I think I would just lose my mind. Chris I think, is my favorite teacher ever. <laughs> he told us to what go happened? Fuck he told us to go fuck ourselves, and then he left. It was the most empowering. Yeah, and that was in September. <laughs> but it's June. I know. It's I know. been awesome. <laughs> Well, you know what's interesting is that I remember uh, when I was uh, when I was in college, I, I drifted all over the UCLA campus. You know, I, I started in South Campus, which was more science and math, and then I and then uh, which I felt was you know too overstructured for my tastes. Then I went to the art department, which I felt was too understructured. Like I had professors who just like didn't. You know, I had one painting professor who just didn't show up. He was like, or it was a sculpture professor. He's like, oh, just you know, take whatever you want from the junkyard and make it. And by the end of the year, you know, I'll just give you an A anyway. And I felt like, well, that's that. I would think that'd be awesome, but it was too little structure. Yeah. So I ended up in the philosophy department where we said, what is structure? <laughs> where we where we defined where we why that person was a bad teacher. Exactly. Exactly. Where did you go? Did you go to school? I went to yeah. I wound up at Cal Arts. Nice. Um, which was an amazing experience for me. Um, but I started out in uh, City College uh, in Riverside. As a performer at CalArts? Yes. Yeah. I was in the acting school. It was the only college. I, I didn't like school. I never liked school. Um, I loved the social aspect, aspects of it. Yeah. I loved the band. I loved the choir. I loved theater. Um, but I just, I hated, like, sort of sitting through class. And, and, you know, and my dad had a theory on it and he was he was ultimately right but um i, I realized that i could sort of look in the and the, the 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 textbooks back then would have these sort of um uh, chapters and then at the end of the chapter they were in this sort of pink highlight or blue highlight paragraph that would sort of recap the whole paragraph and i realized well you just have to read that <laughs> and then you'll be fine i mean i wasn't trying to be get a i didn't care like what my grades are i just want to pass right because i had other th- I had to go to band you know right. we were taking a trip we were doing this we were doing cool stuff you know so i i just did fine in school so fine doesn't get you into any cool college and and fine doesn't sort of set you up for what you want to do next so i mean i grew up in new jersey uh, i was doing theater and it was sort of like well, you, you know, you're not going to be an actor because, like, you need to go get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's blue collar. It was, but I learned uh, construction from my dad. Um, learned furniture building, and uh, I used that to pay my way through school. And uh, I went, wound up. Like, long story short, I, I went to City College because I was going to get an engineering degree because I, I figured I had to get some kind of other degree. Didn't have any proclivity for engineering or, or any kind of like sort of drive to become an engineer, but it was sort of like once again, it was sort of like, well, I could, it's easy, I could go do that. Right. Um, and one day I was drafting a plate, drawing a big, huge three dimensional bolt or something, and my dad walked in and he was like, "What, what are you doing?" I was like, "I'm drawing a bolt, I'm doing my homework." You know? He's like, "No, like, what are you, what are you doing with your life?" And I was like, "You know." It was like John Cusack and say anything, you know. It's like I'm, it's like um, you, you mean right now? Like, <laughs> you know, like, um, so I, we 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 got into this talk about uh, you know I was trying to figure something out as a fallback um, for acting, and I knew that acting was probably not going to you know nobody makes a living doing that uh, in my world, and 
he basically said, well, you have a fallback. I've, you know, you know furniture, you know, you know, you know construction. You can always go do that. You enjoy doing it. He said, go, why don't you go try to do what you want to do? Damn. Nice. Yeah. So I quit school the next day. <laughs> and then, so, and you had, so you really thought long and hard yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, and then he basically was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you just said, I <laughs> know. Not, not, you could have finished out the semester. You could, you know. Um, and I, I, but I, I didn't want to go to school, you know, so I, 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 I found an art school um, that I, you know, from everything I read and saw and whatever, we didn't have to, like, write papers all the time. We were just pretty much, you know, fully immersed in doing what we wanted to do. Um, the history you took was history of theater. The the English you took was all based on uh, literature of theater. It was all things that, that tied in to things that I loved to do. So it didn't seem like school to me. Right. You know, it was exci- everything was exciting because every- I was interested in everything. And um, I got accepted. And I had to transfer in as a... Uh, they only, the program only takes you in as a... As late as a second year student, so you have. So I, I, mean, I had gone to City College for almost full two years, so I had a lot of backed up credits. Um, so I, I almost had fulfilled all my um, general ed stuff. So I was literally able to for the three years that I was at CalArts just act. Oh wow! Um, so it was it was pretty pretty amazing for me. That's fantastic. Yeah. And in the summers while I was doing that, I paid my way through school doing film for uh, doing uh, construction for film and television. And when I got out of school, I rolled right into that and was a construction coordinator on Beverly Hills 90210, the first one, and did that um, on and off and uh, just had a, had a whole other career while I was trying to get my career going. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Was, so the awesome. whole time, like, D- Dylan and Brenda were rolling around in the sack. You were right off the side, like... Building yep. the bed. I was measuring how big the sack was. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, absolutely. And I was, and I wound up doing the show. I did, I did, a, I think a total of twelve or fourteen episodes on the show. Holy shit! I was Tony. Did you watch the show? Uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, it was. I, I was Tony Miller. I took uh, Brenda to the prom. You? Oh my god! That's and then I was in this steroid episode. That was my big entrance. Because <laughs> it was like, and that's another. That's a funny story too. Because it's like, the, you know, we when I was on the show. When I was doing the construction, you know, I was pulled in by the producers, and they were basically like, "Look, we know you're an actor, but you can't be on the show. I mean, you know, you're an old, you know, you look young enough to be on the show, but you can't be on the show. It's a conflict of interest. It's just not, it's not going to work out. So please don't ask us. We're just, it's just preemptive. We just want you to know. I go, it's, you guys let me come and go as I please for my auditions and stuff. So I'm, I'm cool. I'm here to do your construction. And then River Runs Through it came out, which was the first film I had ever done. And I got called back into the office again. And like, okay, so we didn't know you were really an actor. We just thought like you were an actor. Um, we got this thing we want you to do next week. And I was like, well, what happened to the whole conflict of interest thing? Well, we're kind of we're we're willing to look past. We just that. made that up, you know, so like, you wouldn't bother that's us exactly. And I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, so so I wound up going back and forth. Um, so you didn't think episodes. I was good enough to be on your yeah. dramatic Ex- masterpiece? Exactly, exactly. There 90210. You almost want to say to him, like, uh, you know this isn't, like, yeah. theater, right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, oh, we'd love to have it's you. It's a teen soap opera. I don't really think I want to do your show. <laughs> no, you know, I that was an amazing experience for me. Was, and Chuck Rosen, um, man, that, him and his wife and his whole team that were working on that show at the time, they did stuff on that show 
that was not being dealt with anywhere. Oh, yeah, the, they the were teen issues drug and stuff, use yeah. and bulimia and cutting and, like, I mean, it was all happening to, like, one person, which, right. which is, like, that's, you know, unrealistic in a way, but but not. But the idea of the things that they, they were, were... having these conversations. Was, and, and no one else was. And it was like, I remember reading scripts and just thinking, how are they going to do this? Even today, to have a, a main character that somebody loved to have something like that happen to would be a huge topic and should be a huge topic but would be something it's it's not something that's done often or or talked about often on television you know it's well like- I, I just i remember at the time i was in college and so it was it was outside my you know like i was a big comedy guy and i liked a lot of weird stuff and so it was it was sort of outside my my sphere of influence and it was also at a time when <laughs> If you wanted to see something and you couldn't watch it when it was airing, you would have to videotape that thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course, uh, VHS tapes uh, sure. you know, cost money, so what am I going to do? I'm going to tape over Who taped it. over mine? Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so like... it wasn't, uh, you know, it was it was just outside. My... That's really amazing, though, that you had gone to do this movie. And then, of course, th- then you have to come back on set and be like, well, you know... Um, Bob Redford was telling me this really interesting. Uh, I mean, you got to drop that when they when they think that maybe you weren't good enough to be on the show before. Well, Bob Redford says it's like uh, it's Mister Bob to me. <laughs> it's Mister Bob to anybody. He was telling us about what he grew up in Van Nuys. If I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, yeah. Or or he spent his family lived at one point in Van Nuys. For all you, uh, I find myself like correct, preemptively correcting myself because I know somebody's going to be like, "You didn't grow up in Van Nuys. He grew up in Wisconsin. They moved to Van Nuys for like eleven years, or, or even more specific, you know. it's like he didn't grow up in Van Nuys. He was it was like Van Owen. Silmar. He was on Van Owen, which is closer to Chatsworth or Reseda. It's like really Reseda. You exactly. fucking idiot. You're exactly. Like, whoa, exactly. Whoa, whoa. Yes. But the point of the story is, butthead, <laughs> um, he grew up in Van Nuys. And there was nothing out there. You know, these was farms. You know, he talks about, like, all of Van Nuys. And he goes, it's just like there's a dirt road where Sepulveda was. And farms. You know, and you're literally like, holy crap. That was that was not that long ago. Right. You know, from when, when we were doing but this. But, of course, that's where they were shooting all the stag films. That was the birth of the porn industry. Yes. Which would later become Van Nuys's uh, defining quality. There you go. Uh, <laughs> did, so that was just a straight audition? You just auditioned for that? And it was, got the... I did. Uh, Elizabeth Lustig was the casting director. Um, you're talking about... River River Rinsford. Rinsford, yeah. Yeah. And I, I auditioned... Um, I had never even met Elizabeth. I went in and met with her. We did we did the audition. She was like, that was fantastic. I felt really great about it. Um, and then it went away. And I didn't hear anything for three months. Um, I didn't even know, like, to check in, like, did hey, did we hear anything? You know, there was no, I just did it and walked away and thought, oh, that went great. And went, went back to work. And um, in the end... Uh, we get a call. Um, are you available to? What is that? Your watch? That was like I was trying. I was trying to help. It's the, it's the winder. It's like I'm smacking it down. The clicking you were hearing was my watch. I'm not helping. Um, they 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 say, "Can you can you be out? You know, we have to leave uh, next Monday." It was like a Wednesday. I was like, "Leave ne- for what?" Like uh, River runs through it. They want they want to cast you. I was like, "What?" 
Sure. Like yes, yeah, yeah, yes. I th- yes, I think, babe. Can I leave? Is every- yeah. So I finally get there, and Elizabeth tells me that you know Robert, Mr. Redford, saw my tape, loved the tape, and said that's who we have to. We got to find that guy up here. We got to find a local. So casting locals, and every time somebody read, he would compare him. He's like, yeah, but. They're, they're I just he needs to be better, more like that other guy did it. And Elizabeth finally went to him. She said, "You, you know, this is like his first job ever. <laughs> you know, he's, he would pay you to do this job. He's not going to be expensive." <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, "Oh, well, yeah, okay." And then they just they just brought me up. So you'll sleep in your car? Yeah, For, yeah, oh, pretty totally. much. I would have, you know, I would have at the time. Um, I would now probably to to work with him again. Uh, it was amazing, amazing experience. And he, you know, we were we were setting up some. The shot, one of the first scenes I did, it was, it was the full scene, but by myself. And he was talking to me, or he wasn't. He actually, I was, I was out there, I walked out, and we, we, we started chatting about the setup, and they had a whole bunch of stuff set up already. And, and he says, I just want you, to, I want you to do exactly what you did in the audition. I said, okay. <laughs> that was months All ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Three months ago, asshole. <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, and he goes, no, no. He goes, I, it just, you know, you, you just nailed it. And, I said, and, I, and then we got to talking about directing, and he had done, obviously, some, some amazing work as a director before that. And I said, what, uh, you know, what, what do you love doing more now? And he says, well, the directing is, is, is actually all my work is done beforehand. He says, if you find the, you know, the right script that, you're, that moves you, you know, you're passionate about, you find the right DP who wants to visually tell the same story that you want to tell and tell it in a way that enhances what you want to tell, and you find a cast that all line up with what they're supposed to be doing, then you, you pretty much just sit back and watch it happen. Now, obviously, that's a, an incredible oversimplification sure. of it. But you, you start to realize, and that's when that shorthand comes with the crew and with the DP and trusting the people you have around you and not, not trying to force everything into what you think you want it to be yeah. based because you don't necessarily have the people that you really wanted around you. So for me, it was, it was a really awesome creative lesson about setting yourself up for success. And um, uh, Chris Chulak did this when we did Southland. Uh, just trusting the people around you to do their jobs and to help elevate what you're doing as opposed to throwing a little something in, you know, that might make them stumble and doubt what they're doing so they're not living up to their, you know, complete creative potential. So, so it's a lot about not stifling other people and, and embracing that creative sort of uh, environment. Yeah, um, micromanaging is dumb. I, I, it just kills I, it. I, I it don't just like kills to micromanage it. people. I assume, like, if you hire someone or if you're working with someone – you really need to come from a place of, well, they probably know what they're doing. And if they don't, yeah. then we'll figure it out then. Absolutely. But don't, don't fix a problem before there yeah. is one. And also, you want to make sure that you don't, that your voice doesn't, you know, because I'm sure, you know, there are some people, writers, directors, I'm not going to mention any names, but all, when all the characters talk, you go, oh, well, that's all the same guy. Yes. You know, as opposed to letting everyone sort of. Yeah. Elevate by bringing something of themselves to it, something organic that's a part of them. Yep. And uh, but I think it's really hard. You know, it's really hard for some people to just sit back and, and let ev- let everything go. But that's you know, that's how you know that's how the, the music is made. And it's you know on, on set especially. You know, you you come on, you do you do your work at home where you you you. I always call everything that I do is basically my fallback. I work it out, you know, I look at the script and I think in my head, okay, this is this is what I feel this scene is about and 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 no matter what happens if I remember this, I'm going to be okay. 
Right. And then you come in and you and you have some you you know you're seeing one or two or three people who have done the same thing at home and are bringing things that are completely different. Now you can either try to force everybody into doing what you want to do, or you can go, "Oh my gosh, I never, I never even thought of that. That that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that's that elevates you know what I was doing, and my thing elevates what you were doing. And suddenly you have this, you know, it works in this pyramid, and you know the director comes in and goes, "Yeah, but what if you were over there and you came in and you did it this way?" And you, and you oh my gosh, and then you know, and it just it just gets better and better if you let it. Yeah, you know, and that to me that's the most exciting thing about you know just what we do. Well, and also. Your training of because you've done a million television shows yeah. and you've yeah. done a bunch of movies. I mean, you've done so many. I was, just, I was looking at your IMDb page and it's like, oh, you did one episode of this, one episode of this, one episode of this, one episode of this, and you've done a lot of stuff. We used to joke. I had my, I had my own for three years. I was doing so many shows. I had my own show, but the casting crew kept changing every week. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, that was the, it. Was like a Truman Show thing. Exactly. Everything else was happening around you. Exactly. But I mean, it. You know, like what an incredible training ground for having to come in, fit into a, an existing situation, nail the thing, go away, you know, emotionally mm-hmm. be able to go, okay, I'm done with that now. You know, yeah. I mean, was there a certain point where you started to feel like, where's my fucking show? I'm tired of doing other people's shows. No, uh, I, you know, I, you never know as a, you know, what I'm considered a character actor. I guess as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm dabbling in leading man, I guess with, with Southland, I kind of went into a different thing. So I don't know. I don't like to label it, but when they're talking about it, everyone else labels it. Um, I, um, I was just happy to work. I was just happy to to be doing work I was excited about. Uh, I, I also saw that the, the typically the leads of the show did did very little uh, in the sense of emotional growth. Um, mm-hmm. Not not from the actor standpoint, from the way the show is written. You know, it's you know, you, I would come in as a guest, and all these wonderful dramatic things were happening, and the leads of the show were sort of like, hmm, they're characters like procedural, yeah, like a procedural, yeah, and they're just watching it happen, and they're not they're not. They're they're not typically character driven. They're story driven um, and event driven. So it's it's not necessarily affecting them in an emotional way, in the same way it does as the guests. So if yeah. you look on television, the, the guest stars have the these amazing emotional th- cathartic things that are happening to them every week. So for me, that was that was very exciting, um, and you know. It was also great training for seeing if I ever did land on a show that was going to be, you know, my show or I was going to be able to help put my um, sort of whatever mark or imprint on it, how I would treat people when they came right. to my show. Right. Because I was, as, as many other guest actors, there's many years of being shit upon. Yeah. Um, and it's, and, it, and instead of making me angry, it just made me sort of go, okay, I will never do that. Right, I know how I want to be treated, and and it's interesting because people would would do things to you, and you realize they think they're being selfish. I mean, they're not like going through the process of thinking it, but that like if you from the outside looking at it, you go, oh, that person's being selfish. Mm-hmm. When you realize the most selfish thing you could actually do is embrace the guest when they come in because it's just going to elevate both your performances. <laughs> so, so the most selfish thing you can do is actually be nice. <laughs> if for no, if for if no, no other, other reason. reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do it for the show. But, you know, I think, I think what can happen, particularly in a procedural show like that, is that it becomes, you know, at first it's like, oh, my God, great, I'm on a show. Oh, it's yeah, great, yeah. oh, this show looks like this is going to run for a while. And then once the sheen of that wears off, like, oh, this is, oh, is going to run this for a while. change a whole lot. <laughs> wow, okay, well, I had all the money that I cared about having, and now I'm just showing up, and somehow 
And yeah. I, you know, because I, th- I think at that point you got that's when you need to step in and remove yourself. Well, it, because I think it's what you said. Like, if the characters aren't growing, if you're not in a state of growing, uh, then the, you, there's not a lot of joy in that. I don't think because no. you just can't. You're not doing anything. Nope. You're just showing up and flapping your lips and then leaving. And uh, you know, and if you put uh, if 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 a lot of your identity is in your work, then I would imagine. You know, cause some people can maybe do that, and it's like, oh, well, I do this, but I really like to paint, and I have a family that I'm excited about, and this is really just – this pays the bills, and it's fine. But if it's such a part of your identity, and that's not growing at all, then I can imagine it's very stifling, and I think people just get shitty and cranky because no, they, 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 do. they become unhappy, and they, they start do. to implode slowly. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing that's sort of mind-blowing, too, because it, because people do at times get to the point where like, well – this is just my my gig and I make money. Like, people are, like, losing their minds to try to get just a piece of that work. Right. You know, like, they're, they're, they're it's, it's, like, that's all, they, you know, their whole lives struggling and they can't do that. And then you have someone who's doing it and just completely ungrateful for it. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of screwed up. But those people probably had issues going in, too. Probably. You know, yeah. like, I don't think... I don't necessarily think that people and no, we're in the same. Pit. I, I know where you're going with, with like, a few exceptions. No, some people I, can I always say uh, 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 fame and money don't make you an asshole. Right, fame and money make you the fully realized asshole <laughs> you always were. <laughs> they are the seeds that allow that yes. to sprout. Yes, and if you are a cool person, fame and and money make you the fully realized cool person. You know, take a Brian Cranston, right? Take a Tom Hanks. You know, Colin Hanks. Like, I mean, you know, it's like it just it's it doesn't it changes you. Or not change it. It enhances what was always there. Yeah, but I also think a lot of it has to do with um, why why people do it. If someone is doing something to get fame and money, then once they get that thing and they go, "Oh, I don't know what else to try for now. I got the thing I wanted, and this isn't fucking you know like there was no where there were no there fireworks. Was, there was, there was no, no kaboom. Yeah, there was no kaboom. <laughs> it just happened. But you know when people. But that's why I think it's really important to enjoy the process. When you enjoy the process. Then all that stuff comes and goes. It doesn't doesn't matter as much as long as you're doing the thing that you love, you know. And that's with Cranston. Like he just loves acting, yeah. so it does. He would be doing it if you know if he weren't famous mm-hmm. and he were living in a studio apartment. As long as he could act enough to survive, he'd be happy. Yep. And so those are the types of people that tend to really thrive when it's not so, you know like when it doesn't come from such a desperate, needy place to be, you know... They're also the most fun to perform with. Yeah. You know, so they, they like to share their work. But, but, you know, one of the... I think one of the really interesting and wonderful things about Walking Dead is that you, it's one of the few shows, and I can't think of a lot of other shows, where the audience accepts the fact that new people are going to come on. It's like, I think people accepted you... Right away, they're like, "We're in." He's part of the group. Which was Abraham crazy. Ford, we love yeah. him. There he is. There was no like, "Who's this guy? What's his yeah. fucking deal?" Yeah, you know? no, like, I know. Which was crazy because I thought, having read the 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 sort of the the online battle at the time, because I think it's softened actually over time. I think the fact that Kirkman's so involved with everything that softens it. But there was there's very much the 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 graphic novel faction versus the the TV faction. Right. When I was, this is middle of season four. And, you know, on the, I went and, you know, which you should never 
never do out there. <laughs> never go into the chat room. Don't go to the don't don't um, read about but, you know. Yourself. But I, I heard what they were doing, and they're like, you know, who's going to cast? Where the blah blah blah? What's going to happen? And then when I when I first came on, I, I I went there, which was in retrospect asinine. <laughs> But they <laughs> loved <you> me. <laughs> they lo- you know, they loved me. I literally watched my my um, my Twitter feed. I, I was on, on Southland for five years, and over the five years on Southland, I was on Twitter from pretty early on because we were using it as a tool to to advertise the show. Um, I had something like twenty two thousand followers, hard earned followers, right. and, and and I'm not kidding when I and, and I'm sure you go through this because you have I, I see your Twitter feed and you. You go back as well with a lot of people. There's, you've there's a couple hundred people that you know, yeah, like from Twitter, yeah. Like you don't know their personal life or the thing, but you like you you and you remember the, the conversations and you know how you know them and the things. And when they show up at events, they go, "Hey, I'm so and so." Go, like, "Oh my god, that's oh yeah, you. you're, you're the icon you with the spaceship with yeah. the with the gun, yeah. yeah, yeah." And and people don't realize that we like connect like that. And there were, there were hundreds of people. That I that I knew um, from Southland, and when I was announced in when we did the announcement in New York, that thing at uh, New York Comic Con, I just to sort of check it out. And backstage after I was finished, I've clicked onto my Twitter, and I watched my Twitter, and I watched the numbers just. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was literally like, holy crap! And then and then I was told afterwards, oh yeah, this is on a live feed that goes out, so people are like watching the panel. That aren't here. Yeah. You know, it's been announced now, so you're out. So, and I just literally just 23, 24,000, 25, 26, 28. But like a week later, it was up to 125,000. 125, <laughs> I got another 103,000 followers yeah. in the course of like four or five days just from being announced. And I hadn't even done anything yet. Yeah. You know, so, and then when we came on, it was, it was, they loved it. It was great. And it's, I'm very thankful for it. It's such a, I mean, I can't imagine. What uh, that experience is like, because you know, people people watch the show from the point of view of uh, you know, like the way that they understand how the show works. The show's on Sunday nights. People sit in their living room, they watch it. It's it's already made. But you know, the process of I know it is an unglamorous process. Can be, to, you know, when you're. <laughs> I know, you know. I mean, you've worked you worked in construction, so you know, like construction is yeah. hard work. Yeah. But you know, in the in the heat of the of the in the heat of the uh, Georgia summer, yeah. out there running around, screaming, crying, fighting, like it's a very it is an incredibly physical show. Yeah. You know, you guys are checking for ticks every day when you go yeah. back after being in the woods. You know, I mean, and and you're kind of isolated in this really small. Town, Sonoy, outside of uh, outside of Atlanta, and uh, you know, so I imagine it's probably pretty weird to be there and working, and then all of a sudden you emerge, and it's like, oh, you go to a convention, you go to, oh wow, I guess people are watching this. I yeah. really just thought I was running around in the woods, you know, yeah. for for no reason for six months. Well, I think that's that's kind of one of the the sort of the things that makes the show special, um, as you were saying, but but. In a in a different way, the isolation from the industry, the isolation from when I was doing Southland, you know, we you know, and when we were doing uh, uh, standoff with Ron Livingston and Rosemary Dewitt, they were you know we were in town, you know, so there would be uh, 
hey, we're we're shoot, you know we're shifting the scene today because Ron's going to go do you know Conan, mm-hmm. and then Rosemary's got to do thing, and then they want you tomorrow for Access Hollywood, so we're going to move that scene to the. We don't have any of that. <laughs> you know, with schedules the schedule. I mean, every once in a while, you guys come out and do a block yeah. of stuff, and you know, it's kind of behind the scenes stuff, and it's all scheduled in, and you and you guys work around our schedule mm-hmm. when we become available for you, or we're brought in for you guys. Um, and the foreign press, we do the same thing. But you know, in, when you're in town, you you are sort of like, well, no, that thing shoots at eleven, so you got to be there at eleven. So we got to stop what we're doing here and move you over there. Yeah. And people come on set. No, they only have it for this amount of time. So you're going to do that. You know, and it, it interferes with the work. Yeah. And, and it pulls you out. And you know, and oh, I'm got I got to go sh- shoot this commercial for something. And you're like, <laughs> what the commercial? What are you talking? You know, it has nothing to do with the show. Right. When we're out doing the show out in Georgia, we're out doing the show. There's only two cast members that are from that Georgia area that of, of the main cast, you know, Melissa and Chandler and everyone else is, is coming in from out of town and we are all we have out there, you know, when we're there. So we are our family and we're not, you know, distracted from it. Everything is about the work when you're out there and when you're done, you come out of the cocoon and, and you do, it's like, you know, like San Diego is like a, a glimpse of it and you're like, holy crap, what is, <laughs> like, really? What's good? Wow. Okay. So you go back in, you know, and then you go in for another few months, and you come back out, and the show gets delivered. And by the time everyone sees it, they're sees the first, the you know the the premiere. We've shot all but three episodes of yeah. that season. So, you know, you, it's almost all been done, all of it months ago. So you're, it's 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 weird. It's it's really weird. And the, and they 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 love. They're just they're just so awesome. The fans are such a loyal, awesome fan base. I mean, it, it's been really interesting to have, you know, this front row seat for all mm-hmm. of it. Because in the beginning, you know, the cast was a little suspicious about what Talking Dead was. And sure. so they were a little, you know, a little weird about being involved or coming on and stuff. And then, but then a couple of them, you know, I got to meet him and they kind of got to see what it was. It's you. like, oh yeah, we're not, we're not trying to fuck anyone over. Yeah. We're here to support you. And you know, like Steve Young listened to the podcast, so he knew who, you know, like he was, he knew it was, you know, and then over time, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, now, now they trust and they understand, you know, that well, we're there for them. because I think as performers, people, we like to, we like to talk about the subject matter of, quote, the show. Right. We don't necessarily like to talk about our process. Sure. But I think when anyone says, hey, we're going to talk about that thing you're doing, the first thing you're like, the, you know, the shields come up and you're like, look. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. You know, <laughs> so what did you feel when you were like blah, 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 blah. not talking about how I felt? Nobody wants to know how I felt. I'm not going to give you the magic. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to I'm going to explain it to you. That's it's going to be a terrible is. experience. Like you always can understand. I'm going to realize I can't put it into words. Everyone's going to figure out I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, and I'm never going to work again. Then I'm going to get. To- <laughs> That's what it all comes down to. And then I'm never going to work again. again. I'm going to I'm going to get too aware of what I'm so doing. So tell Chris I'm busy. <laughs> Tell them I'm out of town. No, but they know you're not. Oh, tell them I'm. Tell them I'm. So tell them someone's getting hurt that day. Those two. You, mean, you said two very. You said two like really big statements that I think are so true. Which was, I don't know what I'm doing, and, and I'm, I'm never, never going to work, work again. again. I mean, those are the, yeah. the two. The two things yeah. that power a performer. Yeah, absolutely. Most. Every time we finish a job as as a, as an actor, you're <laughs> typically you know your longest job in a feature will be approximately three months, unless like you're doing a huge. You know, big epic thing that's maybe five, six months. But typically, for most working actors, three months or 
uh, an eight-day run on a TV show. And every time you are done, you are literally laying in bed that night going, that was amazing. I'm never going to work again. Yes, that was it. Huh? <laughs> Honey, that was it. Shut up and go to bed. Exactly. 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 <laughs> after 25 years, <laughs> I can honestly say that I went home after I finished The Walking Dead and I was like, I wonder what's next, <laughs> which was a great feeling. Well, I mean, you know, I, obviously when you come on a show like Walking Dead, when you come on Walking Dead specifically, you know Abraham dies. Yeah. Did you know when he was going? I didn't know when, but I, had, I you know, I knew that when I, when I met with Scott before I, I took the job, um, we, we talked about him and his, his sort of want and desire to bring the show closer to the comic um, you know, and, and that, that's why it was so important to have that, that iconic entrance of the three characters that matched up, you know, almost perfectly with the color cover of the comic. Right. Um, with Abraham's army coming in and, you know, with the gun up and, the, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the receding, you know, flying V. Right. right they come in. And, you know, and, and I knew that with getting closer to the comics meant this, the narratives would be closer to the comics. So when I read where when he left and then saw what happened after that and with being on the show and seeing how many new characters were going to be coming on, I knew it was coming up. I figured I had two, two maybe three years on the show total. It, it was obviously closer to three and then looked like it was like, oh, well, they're not following the comic exactly, so they might keep me around for All Out right. War for a little bit. But there were so many other characters coming in and with the, um, with the sort of mechanism of Daryl, um, and by mechanism, I mean storytelling mechanism. Right. It's like he, he is the confidant of Rick. Right. And, and Michonne and, and, and Carol to, to an extent. But in the graphic novel, everyone who gets close to Rick dies. Right. Early on, anyway. You know, you, you lose Tyrese, you lose Abraham. But before he lost him, these, these characters became very, very close with him and confided a lot and became very good friends, which helped drive those characters as well. We never really did that as much because Daryl is there, you know, so Abraham can only get so close. Right. You know, and then you're sort of like, well, we have all these other characters. We, we're, this isn't going to evolve. We have this side story going on. But that actually pulls us away from the center, which is the story of Rick's keeping his family together. Right. So all these stories, you know, they're just going to sort of fall off as we drive forward and new characters come in. So I knew, you know, uh, as we were coming into the season when I was told, I was sort of like, this, you know, I told my wife, I said, this, this might be the last one. I said, and, you know, I said, maybe one more. You know, maybe one more. And then I got the call in August, and I and I talked to Scott, and I, you know, actually I got a call that from from one of the ads that said, "Hey, uh, Scott wants to set up a meeting with you next week." <laughs> Hilarious meeting next week, uh, Tuesday at ten o'clock. I'm like, I've been on the show for three years. Scott has never set up a meeting with me. So, so yeah. I'm out so, then. Yeah, no, so it was it was a voice message. So I called Scott. And I was like, hey, he's like, hey. I said, what's this meeting about? He's like, well, I'm just, we should, uh, I want to talk about the meeting. I said, well, I mean, I'm getting ready to head into a weekend. I said, so I really don't want this, like, to be worrying. Um, I said, am I, are you killing me? So, said, oh, well, why would you? I, can we talk on Tuesday? <laughs> I said, no, it's not a bad thing, Scott. I said, I just want to know. I don't want to, like, like I just want to know if, if you're going to kill me. It's fine. Like I, I just, I just don't want to be wondering over the weekend because there's, there's a lot of planning that goes into yeah. this. You know, as far as my, keeping my apartment or not keeping my apartment or what's going to happen. You know, like there's a lot of moving parts to it. 
Um, you know, it's not I'm not like a kid that you're keeping a secret from. Right. Like um, he's like, well, yeah. He said we're not, but we're not sure exactly when. So you're going to be at the end of this season, the very beginning of the next, and we're still figuring all that. I goes, but I still want to talk to you about some other stuff. On I said that, that's fine. So we're still going to meet on Tuesday. I said, but now I. Now I can process all this. And I said, that's cool. You have an awesome weekend. He goes, well, hang on. Are you, you okay? You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm fine. I'm really am. And then, you know, when we spoke and he said, you were like the, the, that was the easiest thing I ever told anybody. And thank you for that. I said, I, I get it. I said, dude, I came on the show, you know, in the middle of season four. I saw my favorite characters get killed off of this show. If you're an actor and you come on the show after after season four and you are on the show and you find out you're going to die and you are surprised by it, yeah. you're a fucking moron. <laughs> just, what? Just Me? straight up. Yeah, you, yeah. you. Yeah. You're, a, yeah, you're, just a, you're a fucking moron. Because <laughs> well, like, that's what the show does. There's, an art, there's an also an art to breaking It doesn't mean news. you have to like it. No, that's true. But there's an art to breaking this type of news and I think sometimes in our business the more lengths that people go to to protect feelings the messier it becomes sure. oh yeah no there's always it's, I mean there's only the best of intentions yeah there was a uh, led, led, led by well, a trail of tears you know I, I, I remember a um, and this this always really stuck with me it, years ago probably I don't know maybe gosh it must have been like 12 or 13 years ago Louis C.K. was doing a sitcom, and I auditioned for it, and I got an email from him, and he was like, your audition was amazing, you know, we're going to bring you back for the producer, and uh, just do what you did again. And I said, okay, great. And, uh, and uh, he said, we didn't actually, we had written this part for someone else in mind, but I really liked what you did, and so just now you're in the running. So I went back, I auditioned for the, you know, the executive producers and maybe then, I don't know if it's the studio or the network, whatever. Um, and then uh, I came home that night and just the subject line of his email was, you didn't get it. And then he just said, I just wanted to get that out of the way. You still did a great job. But it just, like I said before, we'd already had someone else in mind. And so we are going to go in that direction. And Sincerely, like, Scott Gimple. <laughs> <laughs> Even back then, I always took, I always took, a, and I always really appreciated that Louis did that because it made me. It's respectful. It respects that I can handle it, and it just gets it out of the way. And so, you know, well, and then and then you realize, and then all the rest of it that can't, you know, that typically comes before that is not tenderizing, and right. Bullshit and, and you know, feelings like you didn't get it. Yeah, but. You right. are awesome. We actually are. We, we see there's a future. There might be a thing where we're going to try to work you in. There's no promises. You were phenomenal. You made a great impression with right. everybody. And we look forward to next time. Yeah. You should, you should really trust that the person that you're talking to can handle. And if, you know, and if they can't, then, I mean, I don't know. Then maybe they're it's not, not, it's not, not right. Uh, yeah, but it's not your responsibility. I mean, you didn't go out and go celebrate. Right. You know, but yeah, it's true. We, you know, the feelings are hurt and all that. But it's like you... But you you heal quicker, you know. It's it's literally the you rip the bandage off as opposed to you know. You know, I I had get I was, I didn't know who it was I didn't know who was going to die because I didn't you know it protects me and it protects the fans if I don't know ahead of time. Sure. Because then I can take the journey with the fans and be and be and my my reactions can be sincere and I don't have to. You know, pretend like I wonder what's gonna. No, I think a lot of what your show does is is it rests on the fact that you are a fan. It's not a job. Well, and I also mean, it, it is your job, but it's it's you're a fan yes, first. Yes, but I also you know the way that people I've never experienced anything in in all the years that I've been working like that summer 
with the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Who was it? Who do you think it was? I don't know. You Ooh. know. You know. Exactly. <laughs> and if I really did know, someone would have gotten an ad of me. Yeah. And I said, you know, I honestly don't know. I, I could, you know, if I could see it being Michonne, if he's trying to strike out at Rick's emotional core, I could see it being Carl, if he's really trying to ruin Rick. I could see it being Lauren, if they want to lose every single advertiser by killing <laughs> the pregnant woman. I mean, I could, and then I thought, you know, Abraham is a likely choice because it, in Negan's position to take out the biggest guy and be like, look, I took out your biggest, baddest guy, and what are you going? There's nothing you can do about it. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe they could go traditional. Maybe it's going to be glad. I mean, I really didn't know. And as upset as people, as some people were about the cliffhanger and not knowing, you know, um, I I loved that summer of having that fan experience with complete yeah. of all ages, like grandparents and kids and you know people my age and millennials and you know just having people. Who do you think it was? Why well, think it's this? I mean. That was, you know, for as mad as people got about not knowing, I would never trade that. I mean, this is me selfishly for the experience of being able to connect with that many people about this shared experience. And nor do I think they would do it. The reason you get mad, the reason you get upset is because you care. You know, if nobody cared, it would right. be like, who cares? And then, so, you know, but they care. And yeah. they want to know. And they, they don't really, really want to know. You know, they like. They just want to sh- like share the, that feeling with you and kind of like like they when they say who you they, if you tell them they'd be devastated. Yeah, they'd be like, oh, you you just ruined it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you tell me? You asked me. No, I didn't really want to know. <laughs> well, they definitely you know that whole season was so fast moving, mm-hmm. and that's the season that starts out with Daryl blowing up the motorcycle gang, and yep. you realize like, oh fuck, it's on, yeah. and then you know all of a sudden. It just stops. The momentum just stops. Mm-hmm. And we don't know. And people sort of felt like, oh, we're going to find out now. And then we're going to, nope. nope. And we have to wait until October. And that fucking sucks, you know. Bastards. Uh, but, but honestly, you know, I think the way Abraham went out was, I think, suck my nuts is a perfect way to, you know. Was, that, was there ever a conversation about what those last words should be? Or was that? No, they had, they had that was always written there. The the only conversation that we had was the we had to fix how in the original script that we we got the final production draft it had me looking taking a look at Sasha and nodding to her and then um, then I got a call from from Scott and we were talking about some other stuff and he said oh and I apologize but we have to lose that look because it was pointed out to me and I remembered that in in the season ender for six. It's your POV. You're looking up at him. You get hit. You come up. And you get hit again. You never, ever turned your head. And the audience will know that. He goes, now we could just say, you know, play with time and maybe find a way around it. But he goes, I I just don't know how we're going to do it. So what we wound up doing, figuring out on the day was I had suggested the the deuce is thrown over the peace sign. And I said, that's, that's been, the audience has, has seen us do that to each other, you know, three or four times now in very different circumstances. I said, and that is just sort of our, our way of just letting each other know everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And it, and it worked amazingly, you know. But um, they didn't ask me, you know, about the last lines. It was when, when we were shooting it, I, I told Greg I wanted to, I wanted to throw one, one take of doing it a different way. And uh, we just ran out of time. 
you know, and I had an alternate line, which was suck my red nuts. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I, so I don't, but I don't know, you know, in retrospect, don't know. I mean, they, you know, I'm sure because he heard it in his head, um, we would have stayed with suck my nuts. Yeah. Because that's, you know, Scott is very, in a great way, very, very particular. Um, but also, if he, he's not a fool, if he hears something that's better than what he heard in his head, he's going to roll with that too. But I just think that it was, um, as as most of the stuff that they wrote for me, it was just purely them and me making it work and, yeah. and embracing it. Because I would get calls from from Josh all the time. He's like, "Dude, you see what you got to say in you know page twenty seven? And I go, yeah. He's like, how, 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 like, how are you going to say that? I go, I go, dude, that's like my favorite line of the season. He's like, I, I knew it would be. He goes, I shouldn't even have asked. He goes, I knew, like, I'll just wait and hear it. He goes, and then, and then they would, you know, we would all share in in these scenes, and and I would always get, you know, from everybody, they're just like, I don't know how you say that shit because because you just got to own it. He's well, gotta, and that's know. what that's what was so great about him is you know I mean it's just all the Bisquick talk. And oh yeah, like, you've never heard a guy talk say so many words and say so so little information. <laughs> <laughs> There's a vast ocean of shit out there that you people don't know shit about. <laughs> you know, you're like, what? <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, it's because he was a good guy. Like he was a yeah. good guy, and he. You know, because of where his character had come from and what he'd experienced, and he essentially his losing control affected his family, and that started his journey, and he had a lot of stuff to work through to get to get beyond that. I mean, it. You know, you really, you, you never really felt like what an asshole. It was always like, yeah, you know, this guy is just is who he. You know, yeah. he he was that guy. Especially growing up in the in the South, like, oh, that's your uncle. Like, you know, yeah. he's. He's he's lovable, but he's reliable and he's yeah. loyal, and he you know he's sometimes you don't know where he's coming from, and that's what's great about him. Yeah. You know, he had yeah. that he had that real <laughs> unique unique take on the world. Yep. That he must have been an incredibly fun character to write was, for and play. I, I, it, to play it, it was amazing. We we would talk when we would get drafts, and Scott and I um, we called it the sauce, with, with all the colorful language around it, and and I would call up and go. You know, scene twenty four. He's like, yeah, I'm not, yeah, more sauce. I go, I, I go, yeah. I just, I think there's a, I think there's a little something in there. And I apologize, Scott, if you listen to these, if 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 I'm telling our secret, but it was it was something that I really embraced and and loved about our working relationship because I never, you know, I, I feel very strongly that that writers write and actors should act. And a lot of times, you know, actors want to get involved in that writing process heavily and where it's not warranted. Um, sometimes things need to be fixed. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but not everything needs to be fixed um, because you can't figure it out. Uh, it's our job to figure out what they have written. Mm-hmm. And, and I always go to it's if I can't figure it out, it's it's on me. Until it's not, and and very often you'll sort of go. I just, I'm sorry, I don't. I, I'm this line here, I've been working on it for like a week, week and a half since we got it, and just can't make sense. It just not doesn't seem like you know. And 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 the writer will go, Oh shoot, yeah, that's left over from the draft on the thing. That deadline should not be. There. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but also, so, when you've been a character for a while, you 
kind of start having an idea of what that guy would say or what he would do or oh, yeah. I don't know if he would you know this doesn't yeah. feel well but to me that's the danger if it doesn't feel well I, I, my take on it is well what what would have had to happen what's going on inside of him that he does say that because obviously it's written that he says it so to say my character would never say that yeah. and you go no it very clearly says Abraham <laughs> says, saying it right yeah. there <laughs> and you have a, a room of people a room of eight people who are going back and forth about what you would and wouldn't say who actually write every single fucking thing you say right 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 so I think you have to be careful you're not copping out and and cut you know sort of cutting off a creative opportunity by saying I wouldn't say that I think it's the better question to ask initially is. What circumstances would have to take place for me to say that mm-hmm. and try to make that work? And then if you can't, then you go back and you have a discussion. You go, I'm, I'm having a hard time making this work. And it may be, no, this is because we're setting up blah, 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 blah. Right. Or they may go, oh, well, what would you rather? It's not, it's not a crazy important moment you know, for the pushing the narrative forward. So what would you like to do in here? And then you have that discussion. But I think to approach it from... As, at, for an actor to approach a writer and say, I wouldn't say this, is kind of laughable. Because it's like, you, you said very, <laughs> very clearly that you say this. Well, I'm going to tell you what you're saying. Exactly. And you- well, I've written your character from day one. <laughs> the guy in the room with me created your character. So, Mr. Kirkman seemed to be okay with you saying You kind of would fucking say this. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you just shut the fuck up and say the words and eat your fucking donut. <laughs> Okay, there's there's coming that day when you're gonna be laying in your bed, wondering if you're ever gonna work again. And guess what? You're not. So number one, you don't know what you're yeah. doing. Number, number two, you're never, never gonna, gonna work, work again. again. Number oh, three, no. say the fucking say lines the, fucking the way line. it's written. Okay, good. So uh, great. Just want to make sure we're on the same page. You know, I think he would say that. This is exactly upon further consideration. Oh, oh that's oh. it. Oh, that's much. Okay, I just needed yes. the motivation. I just needed the motivation. Crystal clear. I got it. I mean, can, you know, what 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 was the experience of going to work on something else after something like Walking Dead, which is an incredibly unique organism and a you know like such a a, a different special experience. It's um, the, what I went. I did a pilot afterwards, and I did. Uh, it was a smaller cast. Um, it, it's interesting because you have. I've had three experiences where I've had a similar feeling as, as Walking Dead. Um, one was Band of Brothers and one was Southland. And it's it, it just comes down to the people and the, the sort of the creative environment. Um, and it's just it, – it's all about the intangibles, you know, the, just the feeling. There's no There's no like, oh, it was great because – we all had this thing, you know, this specific structure thing where it was like a room where we all met or it was – I preferred it because it was on location or I preferred it because it was inside or this and that. But it has to do with just the people involved. You know, if you get the right combination of energy with people, then you have a, you have a Walking Dead. You have a, a Southland. You have a, a, you know, a band of brothers. Um, and they're rare, you know. Um, but I – once again, I've been very fortunate, done this for a little while now, and you learn that that's rare, so you don't come to expect it. And it's not like a huge letdown when it doesn't happen. It's more of just a complete amazing surprise when it does. Yeah. You know, so you don't, the other one, the other the other side of it's not a negative. It's just the norm. Right. You know, and I, I think if you approach it that way, you'll be, you'll be fine, you know. Every, everybody's in it for different reasons, um, and, and every once in a while, all the reasons 
align. And yeah. you're all there to do you know the same exact thing for the same exact reasons. Uh, and there's no egos. There's no nothing. It's all about the work. Whenever it's about the work, it's it. You're safe. And I can't imagine what Band of Brothers must have been like. That was amazing, amazing. Because of the age of, of all of us at the time, because of where we were in our careers, uh, the fact that it was a, a cast of all men, young men, who uh, actors who traditionally just by that those that sort of uh, subset description would be sort of a recipe for douchebaggery. Um, you know, it just it just wasn't. You know, you can't get guys together in groups. No, well, yeah, you, it, it becomes you know competitive acting, right? You know, who, you know, and it wasn't. It was it was a group of young men who who very quickly realized the scope uh, and and importance of the project and 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 sort of rested back in that and and let the project sort of take us forward it was it was life changing uh, I had said at one point when I finished it to my wife I said honest honest to God if I never worked again I would feel like i've I've done something important in my career was Spielberg was it Spielberg band mm-hmm. brothers yeah yeah. I mean, so when you have that guy, yeah, who, I'm but sh- that's all we, That's why we all came onto it. You know, initially we weren't. I mean, you know, when you look back, you go, "Oh, it was amazing to do." It was amazing to do. But all these things happened after we got cast, and in retrospect, before we were the the, the biggest douchebags you could possibly want to come across <laughs> because we were all going, "Oh, it's a Spielberg project. Oh, it's a Tom Hanks project. Oh, it's going to be like Saving Private Ryan, except bigger. It's going to be. Oh, and it's on HBO. Oh my gosh, I want to do this. This is going to be great for my career. This is right. going to be. There was none of the real like like these men who even like whatever. Then you start reading the material, you start getting into it, you do the audition, you meet, you work with Tom, you work with Steven, you see the guys you're going to work with, you meet the actual vets, and all of a sudden you're fucking like you know half an inch tall and feel like the most insignificant piece of shit in the world next to what these men did and you're like oh okay this is what we're here to do okie dokie better not fuck this up don't fuck this up and that's what that's what it became yeah because i could remember if we were just producer he did but but i mean it's what do you learn from working with a master like that well the, the the hilarity was and this is um (laughs) <laughs> this would probably cost me a job somewhere down the road. <laughs> the, the, you know, we we had um, they they were deciding whether they were going to go with with n- names or with you know with um, newcomers. Yeah, um, and they ultimately chose uh, newcomers so they could be associated with the characters that you weren't looking like. Oh, that's you know so and so as that guy. Yeah, right. Craig Sheffer as you know whoever. It's we were the guys, but in the audition, you know. They started pairing us up, and we were all doing dialogue and had scripts in hand and going through, crawling around through trenches and stuff, and Steven's walking around with a little beta cam or whatever it was at the time, 35 millimeter, I don't know, whatever, some kind of video camera, you know, filming our faces and coming and walking around. So he's, like, filming this audition, but he's, like, doing it, like, like walking through, you know, and tripping over fucking cords and think you know oh, oh shit sorry guys. okay can we go back and do that again you know and you're just like really steven spielberg just tripped over me and we have to start over again so, um but that's how it started you know and and when we all found out that we were all going um you know we we i was sent five scripts and they were highly secret they were they were scripts that were um uh, on a dark 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 red paper uh, oh, so you couldn't photocopy type, it. So you couldn't photocopy yeah. it, and they had our names, uh, black, uh, you know, in black across them. And I got five scripts that to read to, to for to, to see if I wanted to do it. 
And I was before the scripts even got there. I was like, of course I'm going to do it. It's a Steven Spielberg project, you know. So I read the scripts, and my name is mentioned. The, the character is mentioned in it, but there's literally zero dialogue for me. Nothing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm at the dining room table, and I'm okay, huh? I may have to turn this down. Because uh, I'm not going to, my career is just starting. I've been working my butt off. I'm like, I'm not going to go to England for a year to do nothing. Right. Just because I'm going to be in the, you know. So called my man, my manager and I said, I'm not in these scripts at all. I said, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know if they, 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 maybe they didn't send me one that they wanted to, but I don't know why they would send me these t- for me to figure out if I wanted to do this. Um, so immediately I get a call back from Meg Lieberman who cast it and she's like, you're going to be in these scripts. And there's an episode that's not done yet that is written specifically for your character. You have to trust me on this. She says, it's, 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 it's about your character. It's all, Stephen, everyone, we've talked about this. It all follows your journey. You get injured, this whole thing. But it hasn't been written yet because they're not sure. There's two different stories they want to tell during it. And they're not exactly sure what they want to do. So you have, you have to just trust us that this is going to be there. So now I sent these five, <laughs> five one-hour scripts, which are full hour, not 42 minutes. So it's full, right. you know, each one's a good 70 pages long. So I read through all the stuff, which I'm not in. And then based on a phone call from an amazing person who I respect, who casts... Meg is legendary. Stuff. I mean, like, she's cast in yeah. the most incredible... She and Mark Hirschfeld, it was Lieberman Hirschfeld for yeah. a long time, yeah. and then he went to work for NBC, and then yep. she went off on her own, and she's, yep. I've, she's amazing. Yeah, amazing. And she said, "Trust you're gonna have to trust me." And I said, "I trust you." So the answer is yes. <laughs> and then the script came, and I was just like, oh. "So even if it was only in my mind, I said, even if I only was doing like sort of like basically being the lead in one hour of a Spielberg produced miniseries that was ten hours long, which even though I hadn't seen the script yet, but that was like the thing. I was like." That's worth doing, even if I do nothing else in any of the other episodes. And then when everything was all really written and tied in together, we were all all over it. Um, and they delivered on that episode. And it was the the best decision that I almost screwed up <laughs> in my entire life. <laughs> well, I mean, is he, you know, as, as a director, are you... Do you come in with ideas, or does he say this is what I think this is? Or well, he was supposed to. He was he Spielberg didn't direct any of them. Um, Hanks directed episode five, and he was amazing. And he, he he's kind of one of those guys who so he didn't direct. Shot. Spielberg didn't direct. Spielberg it. didn't. Ah, but produced, what happened okay. was what that thought. was he was supposed to direct the pilot or the first episode was supposed to be an hour and a half long. Spielberg was, Spielberg was supposed to direct it, um, but he had his kidney removed. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, no, I didn't know if I knew that. Yeah, it's some kind of cure, kidney surgery or something. He had something that was put out. but And because he was not able to do it, um, he did not direct any of them. Because at that point, there's no, there's no sense. He did private run, you know. Right. It, I directed episode four of what, there's, right. no, there's nothing in there in the sense of for the audience to get excited about it, for him to get excited about. But just to do the first episode of it, yeah. an hour and a half long, that would have made sense. Well, it ended up not happening. Um, so you had Hanks. So we, so we, had, we had Hanks <laughs> later, and he was he was amazing. What what people don't re- remember or realize is that we were supposed to shoot all the uh, all the stuff in the Alps was supposed to take place in actually in the Austrian Alps in the actual snow, 
Um, and that was the year that uh, uh, Austria elected a Nazi sympathizer into their either, uh, and I'm going to sound ignorant because I don't know what kind of government they have there. It was either parliament or their House of Commons or whatever there, but it's in, in a high position of government. So Spielberg pulled uh, um, the Band of Brothers from shooting in Austria and everything that, that would have meant for them financially for us coming there. So we ended up doing everything in England inside, um, and they created all the snow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was kind of like, it was a challenge, I think, that became a a definite uh, asset. And, and Hanks is a... a like a nice guy, <laughs> like, like the nicest, like 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 one of those people that you sort of keep looking back, going he he can't. It's just not. He's just too nice, <laughs> in the best way. I mean, he's not. You know, he's extremely uh, opinionated about what he's opinionated about. You know, he has beliefs and and ideas that are strong, but he's just the nicest guy. He's everything you would hope and expect him to be. And most of the people that you know this that. Most of the people you want to meet, that you think you want to meet growing up your whole life, when you do, you, you are very often let down. <laughs> <laughs> At least I have been. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know... And it's like, don't meet your idols. <laughs> and a lot of times I come away from those experiences feeling like, you know, maybe some of that's on me because I yeah. had expectations. Yeah. You know, like, this yeah. person's a person. Maybe I caught him on a bad day or maybe they... I don't know, you know... I mean, I think it's it's very difficult to you know. But if that, when that's all you have, it's hard not to paint the entire picture of a person with that sure. one moment, sure. which I think in turn makes me and I imagine makes you more conscious when people come up to you that you're like, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be yeah. engaged in this moment because mm-hmm. I, I want I want this person to get something positive out of it and feel good about this situation and not feel what I felt yeah. when I went up to so-and-so and yes. they were kind of a dick about yeah. it. There's nothing wrong with saying my dog just died if your dog died. Right. <laughs> as opposed to just going, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's like, hi, I can't really talk right now. My, you know, something bad just happened in my, oh, okay. You just humanized yourself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in particular, I feel like the Walking Dead fans are, 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 are really, um, it's a nice bunch Yes, because they they're really uh, I don't know they they're they're, caring they're caring they're They're caring caring and and they're sympathetic and they you know and I I feel like it is a fan because if you said like oh my gosh you know honestly I'm just having a weird day and something horrible I feel like they would go no problem you know like I I, I, it's it's a it's a nice group to have but you do all of the you do a lot of fan conventions Mm -hmm. and uh, you know it's that system is very interesting to me because. It was like the time Norman got bitten by a lady, and I, and I always feel bad for her. Honestly, I, I mean, I it's just the just the people. I've had people start bouncing uncontrollably. I've had people burst into tears. I've had people, you know, laugh. They just get. I mean, I get like she, you know, maybe was playing around and she was like, ah, I mean, she was dressed as a zombie or whatever, yeah. and, and then got you know bit a and little, then it made, and then it seemed like. This woman just bit him. Yeah, and I know, and it's like, yeah, come on. Yes, of course. I like, you know, she's not some like serial, you know, she's not, you know, Joanne Dahmer. And also, you see, you see a very nice, very, very, very gender friendly recasting of the. But uh, but just the idea is like, you know, you know, the cast is fun, and you know they fuck around, and you know, being in a community of Walking Dead fans that. It's like they're a part of it too, and yeah. yeah so I, I also felt bad for it. It was like, oh, I don't know if it was that. Well, and then like the social media turned on her. I'm like, guys, stop! All right, she, 
She bit him. She feels bad enough. Also, also, you know, uh, people need to understand that you know when when people are when you're when you're a really when you're a hardcore fan of something, and all of a sudden you're standing in front of that person, and it's happened to me, and I know it's happened to you. You you you're not always completely there because you're it's such an out of body experience. I started crying when I was talking to Lavar Burton <laughs> like a month ago because so it was sweet. just about roots and it was like <laughs> oh my god and you you know and and the, and, the, and all the stuff that he's done the outreach stuff with education and stuff I'm going to get upset talking about it now but it's just like just he's so much a part of my life and growing up and then he was standing in front of me and you know I, I didn't know how to process it yeah. You know, and you get it every once in a while. We do. We it was as well. We're we're fam- I'm staring at the mic like I'm looking at you guys <laughs> in the face. We we get that same emotion and that same feeling. I did it with um, uh, I can't even think of his name, Freddie. What? Uh, oh, Freddie Krueger. You mean Robert England? Robert England. Yeah. Uh, he was sitting across from me at, at at one of these conventions about about a year and a half ago, and I'm, and the whole time I'm like, oh my god, I gotta go say hi to him. He's like. <laughs> That's Freddie. Holy crap! I gotta, you know, and then and then there was a lull in in the crowd over on his side, and they see Robert running over to me, and he's like, "Oh my god, I'm a huge fan of Southland. I just had to tell you that. I've been seeing you all day." And I'm like, "Oh," and I have pictures that are with me looking completely like an idiot, but just not like void of any emotion, just not just literally like crapping my pants. You should have said, "I'm sorry, I'm having a weird day." Yeah, can, I said, you I said, can you back off? Hey, man. But what also a really cool that he he mentioned Southland, yeah, because you know Walking Dead's the really obvious one. Yep. But you know when someone yeah. when someone goes a little deeper, it's like oh my god. It's like no. Well then you uh, well because it's Southland would have been easy. I mean uh, Walking Dead would have been easy, and it could have gone well. Yeah, okay, sure. It's just, but he goes Southland. You know he's not lying. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you're exactly. like oh shit. You really do know my work. Yeah. You know, I and, mean, yeah. And I think that's I think that's the other element. Tiny like, oh, no. Never never forgetting what it means to be a fan. Mm-hmm. To also understand that as a performer, that as a performer, you need fans in order to, mm-hmm. you know, to support the thing that you're doing and that you should always, you know, to within reasonable boundaries, be in service to them. Absolutely. Because otherwise, you don't got nothing. No, no, no absolutely. <laughs> and that's why and that's why we do them. And people all the time say, you know, we'll have somebody come through and you, you kind of dealing with their kids and. You know, maybe they're even older kids. You know, twenty twenties and thirties, and then the 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 mom, and we have a lot of a lot of moms and a lot of grandparents who are fans. But in, in this scenario that I'm speaking of, you'll have the mom, and she'll say, "Oh, you you must hate this." And I'm I'm literally like, "Why? What? Why would I hate this? Yeah. If I hate this, I'm going to stop doing it." Yeah, uh, I can I can't imagine doing this hating it. You know, you you want to see. The fans, you know, when I when I want to see fans, when I want time for myself, I go take time for myself. Yeah, yeah. You don't go to a fan I'm, event. I'm an adult. I can yeah. do that. <laughs> I can go to my house and stay inside. Well, I know that just comes from people never not wanting to be a burden or a bother. Yes. But but it is it is funny people go. Uh, Hey, I think your work is great. You're probably tired of hearing that. No, I am certainly yeah, not. No, that's tired of hearing like, that at like, all. Well, how do you people go? How do you feel when people walk up to you? And I'm like, what do you mean? Look, well, okay, let's 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 logically walk through this. There are people out there who love watching me do the thing that I love to do. Yeah. 
Hmm. That supports my life and my family <laughs> Come on. and everything else. It's yeah. like the it's like the best gift in the world. Yeah. The only time I ever I ever get a little weirded out is if I'm someplace and someone's really drunk and they just yes. start grabbing and they're like, hey, yes. you know, like, yeah. like that that just makes me uncomfortable because I'm sober and it just it just brings up a lot of weird stuff for me. That is literally the only time yeah. I ever you know get weirded and don't, out of- and 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 don't talk to us while we're peeing. <laughs> Can I get a and selfie? Oh, uh, yeah. you? Uh, can we if do I it got, out there? If I got my dick in my hand, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. Now, if I have my dick in my hand and I'm just sitting in a restaurant, different story. That's on me. But if I'm in a, my dick is in my hand and I'm surrounded by tile. <laughs> don't talk to me. Maybe. Other than that, we're if good. My dick is in my hand. I'm surrounded by tile, but I'm at a Home Depot. Then maybe, maybe that's a different story. What section am I? In? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in plumbing looking for light bulbs. Me. Um, but your dick. The bathroom. But then you don't just don't reference that your dick is in your hands. Excuse me, can you help me? Where are the light bulbs? I just but you're not to talk about. It. Just see if anyone notices. Just see if they would notice. I feel like people would notice. Maybe they would not. Mm. Maybe they would not. Maybe this is. Maybe this. Is, God, I hope they would. Okay, maybe this is a little. Oh, trust me, <laughs> they would know. <laughs> I mean, how can you not notice something you're I mean, tripping come over? On. You're right. <laughs> Am I right? How exactly. can you not notice something that takes up the whole exactly. aisle? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, this is funny. I was thinking about when I was younger, and you'd you'd, you'd, you'd try to you know you talk to your humor. Like, My dick's like so big. You're like. Great. If your dick was that big, what could you do with it? Nothing. Nothing. Fuck off. Nothing. Fuck your mom. (laughs) Again. Again. Like, all right, I'm your dad. We just became eleven again. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't know if I I guess it's all right to tell the story, but uh, you know, (laughs) you can think about it. But recently, recently, I I did a thing where I extracted my. Air, my thing, uh, and then walked into the the bedroom and just had a normal conversation with my, with my wife, and, and just waited to see how long it was that she would notice. And it was just the perfect like, yes, we are a solid couple. This is a solid couple relationship. Because at the because end, how long did she ignore it before she? That was it. That's it's what that she didn't see it. No, it was just by knew. the end, she was just like, and, and, and you know, she you said, you... <laughs> yeah. And by the end, she goes, yeah. And then we can have dinner at seven. And yes, I know that your penis is out. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, okay. of course you know, because you almost <laughs> tripped on it. <laughs> I'm lying in bed. I didn't almost trip on it. It's not that big. It's calm down. You know, but it, it's just it's just that acceptance of like, this is something we do sometimes. Yes. And, you know, we're I would never do it in public. But, uh you know, no. It, it's just it's just that our wives know we're idiots. Yes, exactly. That's and they more, ex- they it's more to us. that point. <laughs> they accept us for being idiots, uh, and uh, and and we love them for this. Absolutely. But, uh, is there so? Oh, uh, I think I probably are we mentioning the uh, Walking Dead season seven DVD and Blu-ray? Or, are are they out? Or are they coming? They out? They are out. Oh, you know what? I don't know if they're out. If they're if they're, if just a report. No, they're out. They're available. They are because people have been talking about. Yes, they're out. They're they're hanging out. They're, they're out. They're out. They're out. People have been tripping over them. I saw that they're out. I saw that the DVDs are out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the DVDs, the Blu-rays are out. Uh, and uh, yeah, so you know, re- re- relive it. And well, there's some cool commentary um, also with myself, Greg uh, uh, Nicotero, and Scott Gimple. Um, I I don't know if Stephen was back in town by then. He may. Have, I feel like he called in, but maybe not. But um, I remember we had there was some cool cool commentary and people have been commenting on it. So commenting on the commentary. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, listen. After we when we did the um, 
the thing at Hollywood forever, and you know, it was it was it was very sad. You know, we lost you, but we it was kind of awesome. We lost Steven. It was awesome. It rained. It wasn't supposed to rain, but it did, which is not common for Los Angeles. Yep. And it only rained while the show was happening. It started yep. raining right before, and it, it, it ended right right afterwards. And uh, you know, after that episode, you know, people were like. <laughs> Uh, you know it's just a TV show, right? Why are you so upset? And like, because these people, I care about them. And how can you, have you never been moved by by a story, a book, a movie, a television show? This is a part of our ritual and a part of our lives. And it's, you know, and it's sad when things change in this mm-hmm. way. So yeah, it is fucking, you know. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's not, it's, we know they didn't actually die. This isn't a fucking documentary, but... Uh, but I can't tell you how many of the fans are, and you know, take it for for whatever you want to take it for. Um, they people see me, and I've gotten hugs, and they said it's just uh, it's just comforting to know that you're okay. Yeah, and and I, I'm not. They're not making it up. No, I mean, you, like you can tell they are. They are. They feel this way. You know, it is. It has moved them in in a very big way, and and that's that's amazing. You know, I mean, we we told these stories, you know, in a way that moved these people like this. So, yes. like, so yeah, you're welcome. And not only that, <laughs> but particularly with you know, when you when you really watch a show and it becomes a part of your life and a part of your ritual, of friends come over, family come over, whatever. You make food, you get together. It's very communal. But people either identify with a character like Abraham or they go, oh, that's like my uncle or that's like this guy I know. That's my friend. And so when you lose that person on the show, you really do on, you know, on a, yeah. on a, much, on a smaller level. But you really do lose a little piece of sure. yourself. And it's, it hurts. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not crazy. And you're not wrong for getting upset about it, people no, listening. Not at all. No, it's awesome. And we, and we love that. You know, we, cause we, we know that we are effectively doing what we're trying to do. Are you, are you going to be at any conventions anytime soon? I'm doing some, uh, I did some, a bunch over the summer cause there was, there was a potential for some work stoppage in LA with the potential of a right. writer strike, potential of an actor strike. All those have gone away and it's all work full stream ahead, full speed ahead. Um, but I, but I booked a bunch, you know, to, to, to cover that in case. Yes. Yeah. Cause it's like, I need to keep busy and, uh, I'm leaving for Ecuador tomorrow. Oh wow! I'm going to do a convention in Ecuador. That's fantastic. And that, that is, that's the thing about the show. It's, it's worldwide. Yeah. You know, and I'll be in Atlanta um, for the, the big walker. Have you ever been to one of those? No, because they're only, you know, my schedule, which only just opened up with that midnight ending, um, it opened up as much as my schedule's been opened up in the last several years. I was never, the weekends that they always were, particularly the one in Atlanta, I had so little time off that I would fill my, those weekends with stand-up dates. Gotcha. So I could never make it, I could never do it at the same time because it was like I could either do this or, you know, I need to be getting ready for my comedy special or I need to be, you know. Sure. And so... Uh, I, I would highly recommend you, but I will you do one. figure something out. I will out do because, one at some point because I, I see the pictures and I'm like, oh, that looks like fun. You'd love it. That, I mean, that would be like, almost if, like, if you could figure out a way to do it, you know, line up a gig comedy gig in the town that we were in yeah and then go do the thing during the day you know visit maybe do a panel or something well, and then what, do a comedy show that night what I what I kind of wanted to do at like at Walker Stalker was um, was actually do like a you do know sort of a, a panel version of, ta- of Talking Dead it's absolutely because like, you guys are already there yep. so let's sit around and talk for you know for that audience for just that audience for an hour 
you know, and then and then take pictures and stuff so, and sign stuff. So yep. yeah, I mean, I, I they, the fans would love it. I'm so open to it. I would love to do it, and uh, it's it's really just been about schedule. But I'll, I'll try to work it out soon. Cool. Uh, I hope to see you around. You will. just hanging out. You will. Maybe I'll come visit you guys next year. I'm still watching the show, so that'd be. Uh... Great to come on. And, and you have my numbers. Yeah, I have And you number. just live, you know, over the hill over from where we hill. live. So we could yeah. probably, could probably get Figure together at some point. We maybe, you know, do I need to have a fan convention in my no, house to get maybe. you to come over? Okay. <laughs> a private one-on-one. <laughs> There's somebody here that really wants to see you. Hi, his, I'm Chris. His name is Chris. Hi, come on in. I know. Talk about yourself in the third person. I, Chris made us both footy pajamas. Oh. I'm wearing Mine. I will go put mine on. If I'm not back in five minutes, you start without me. <laughs> That's weird. He just, he just lost his mind. Where'd he go? He's Where'd he go? To me with his little Dr. Dentons with his penis hanging out. You know what? <laughs> I'm just waiting to see if my wife notices. She's not so here. I took it out. What? She watches the show. Yeah, but now you're canceled. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, normally we end the episode by saying enjoy your burrito, which is how we end the episode to say, like, you know, enjoy your present. But I feel like we should wrap up the show with like a an Abrahamism, you know? Do you have a particular favorite one? Suck my nuts. <laughs> now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.